Welcome to this month's Conservation Conversations. I'm Sean O'Brien, the president of NatureServe, and I'm your host. This month on Conservation Conversations, we have two really interesting young men who uh, I met recently at a conference on native pollinators. And uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about that and a little bit about their background. Um, but I was really excited to get to meet them because one of the things that we think about is you know, next generation and who are gonna be the leaders in the future. And I think there's a, it's easy to be cynical uh, for adults. And I don't not mean to call you guys adults, but like older adults like me <laughs> to be cynical about the next generation. And are they gonna be participants in fixing the world? And what is their role in that? And I think the two of you are doing an amazing job of establishing yourselves as leaders in the field of making sure that we have a healthy planet for future generations. And so I wanna thank you for that right up front. Um, and then introduce you. So I have uh, Colin Spriggs and Brandon Gibson, who both live in Oklahoma. They grew up together and um, now as young adults are working together in the same field, which I think is super exciting. And so uh, Brandon and Colin, welcome to Conservation Conversations. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Sean. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, so um, we met at the Tribal Alliance for Pollinators conference uh, last year, which is a really interesting conference, probably the most interesting conference I've ever been to, because it was both um, scientific, it had traditional knowledge, it had emotional presentations, it had hardcore science presentations, um, demonstrations of different uh, methods for attracting native plants and native pollinators and uh, propagating native plants. So that was, uh, that was really exciting. But you guys, um, tell me a little bit about each of your backgrounds. And you guys, you guys know each other well enough that you know who goes first. I guess I'll go first, yeah. Uh, my name is, like Sean mentioned, Brandon Gibson, Yate uh, Abene. I'm a member of the Navajo Nation. Um, I'm also Cherokee and Choctaw as well. Um, <clears throat> I grew up here in Oklahoma, over in Wagner, Oklahoma. Um, went to school at Northeastern State University. I have a bachelor's in uh, organismic biology with a minor in environmental. Um, and then prior to starting at Tribal Alliance for Pollinators in 2020, I was a, a wildlife field technician and mainly uh, doing ornithological field work for a couple of years. So uh, tracking prairie chickens, looking for Henslow sparrows habitat, um, primarily in Nebraska, Minnesota, and here in Oklahoma. Uh, doing bird surveys. And so that's sort of how I got my first start off and then uh, sort of jumped right into the tap and uh, been loving it ever since. But Awesome. Hi, everyone. I'm Colin Spriggs. I am a member of the Cherokee Nation. And I started here back in 2019. So it's been five years, which is kind of crazy. Um, I also grew up in Wagner. We've been friends since, what, about like seventh grade or so. Um, and then we went to the first year of college together in undergrad um, at NSU, Northeastern State University in Tahlequah. Then I transferred to OU to finish out my degree in environmental science and a minor in upright bass performance. Awesome. And a little surprise there. <laughs> yeah. We're seniors of TAP. I just, yeah. I just realized yeah, we are seniors. Fourth yeah. year's TAP. That's right. Um, so tell me a little bit about the Tribal Alliance for Pollinators, because you all have sort of, it seems like multiple affiliations, but I think that's the primary one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, our, you know, people sort of know us as the Yuchi butterfly form. Um, right. That's mainly what's, you know, labeled out front on the gate and such. Um, but primarily what we do, and I feel, I feel like it's uh, a big part of the a majority of the farm, really, um, outside of the butterfly stuff is the tribal lines of pollinators work. And so we're the sort of the um, more botany focused side of trying to preserve pollinators. And so um, we're both program coordinators or titles, um, but we kind of serve more as a botanist of the farm um, in terms of providing uh, the actual ecological knowledge and uh, identifying species and collecting seeds. Um, Cause that's mainly what we do is we, we collect seeds from all throughout Oklahoma and then we grow them out and, you know, we take very good uh, record keeping of, of them as well. So we know exactly where all of our plants are collected from. Um, we don't order any of our seeds uh, at all. So everything's locally collected here in the state of Oklahoma, which is important to us. Um, not only for uh, scientific reasons, but as well for sort of more cultural reasons as well. It's important to sort of remediate the land with what was already here, you know, hundreds and hundreds thousands of years ago. And so it's important to keep this, uh, keep this in respect and preserve the land that we have currently. And because as you know, I mean, things aren't really necessarily getting any better in terms of development upon habitat. And so we're here sort of just to provide uh, the tribe specifically, because we are the tribal lancer pollinators, the tribe specifically, uh, these resources and these plant plugs, uh, all, all available to them at no cost, which is really nice. And so we just have to grow them out and then just find some home for them is what Colin and I's uh, primary purposes here on the farm. Right. So um, there's so many things I want to follow up on. Um, <laughs> First of all, I want to thank you for the seeds that you gave me when oh, I was yeah, up yeah. there. Um, <clears throat> I'd looked them all up to make sure that they're all native to where I am. So the species that you gave me, I can grow here in Virginia without feeling uh, like I'm doing the wrong thing for for native plants. Um, so that's a that's a great thing. But I also really appreciated that you all are both referencing other information to learn about how to propagate these plants, but you're figuring this out for yourselves. And I'm really interested in that because I think there are some species of plants that people grow in their yards and we know how to grow them all day long, but there's lots of native plants that nobody's ever taken the time to figure out how to propagate. And you mentioned you have a, a seed bank of 250 species, I think. Yeah, it's about 250. We still need to audit it for this year because um, we've added a lot of species over the last two years and we haven't had a chance to really go through the entire seed bank and really figure out what's going on in a little while um so hopefully we can do that this month into next month 250 is a safe bank, 250 yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. 50, give or take 10 15 or yeah. so it's probably more given it's probably the last more. field season yeah so. so what is a seed bank for people who are listening so the seed bank um here at tribal lines of pollinators and so our seed bank is um you know we're very proud of it because it's the largest native plant seed bank here in Oklahoma by far. Um, and, you know, it's really Colin and I that have sort of uh, compiled all of these seeds together and organized it. And, um, you know, we're just two guys and we're competing with universities and, you know, that have their own seed banks, tribes that have their own seed banks, which is great, um, but they're primarily focused a lot of the time, at least with the tribes, um, on a lot of cultural seeds, which is fantastic. So heirloom, and we're getting into that as well. Um, but in terms of native plant seed bank, uh, we definitely have the largest seed bank in Oklahoma. And so we collect all these seeds, you know, we, 
can preserve them for many, many years. And so we've grown seeds that have been collected back in, you know, 2014 uh, milkweeds that were collected from somebody that's like now uh, over at OSU or something like that. And so uh, if you store these seeds in the proper manner, you can keep these things going for, you know, generations in terms of preserving them. And so it's really important for us to not only preserve the seeds themselves, but also preserve the genetics me being an uh, ornithologist prior to this, uh, doing prairie chicken work with terms of uh, rearing and trying to release stuff, uh, genetics are always going to be a big, big, big aspect of it. And so I'm very cognizant of trying to keep genetics in line. People always ask me that with terms of, uh, you know, if you clone this thing over and over and over, are you worried about genetics? I absolutely am. Um, and that's why I clone different populations of, you know, things that I am cloning. So vines and things like that, um, because I want to keep a, a good genetic line. And so we're pretty aware of that. Um, but that's mainly what the seed bank is. It's sort of just, you know, a ton of seeds that are native to Oklahoma, collected here in Oklahoma um, and organized by the region that they're at. And so when we do these plantings or we give out seeds to people here in Oklahoma, we try to, uh, divvy it as close as possible to the county that they're in. Um, and that, that's sort of the easy way to go about it. But yeah. And you're um, providing these seeds to who? Are people paying you for seeds? Is someone doing a prairie restoration? Like what's the purpose that people want these native seeds for? Yeah, we're, we're sort of a really unique organization in that purpose. Um, and the sense that we don't charge anything ever um, all of our seeds, that all the things that we collect, all the things that we grow, all the things I have growing right now are all um, completely, you know, free of charge to any tribal member here in Oklahoma. Uh, tribal individual or, you know, the tribes themselves or maybe somebody working for the tribes that's not actually even uh, associated with the tribes. But if they're working for the tribe, we can still provide them all of these plants, plugs that we grow and all the seeds that we collect. Um, which is really, really awesome for us because you know, there's a big demand for it around here. Um, Oklahoma is really picking up in terms of the native plant gardening. I, I know it's the surrounding states like Colorado have kind of, you know, been more active in it, but it's, it's sort of leaking over to Oklahoma now where people are getting a lot more interested. And so um, we can remediate a lot of these tribal lands, these private landowners or the tribes themselves in terms of headquarters for educational reasons as well. Uh, and, and as well as medicinal purposes, which is another big aspect of the seed bank and what we do is, uh, is just providing culturally significant plants to the tribes themselves. And so they don't have to go out into the native habitat and harvest these plants themselves. You know, we can grow 50 plant plugs for them easily of, you know, X species, and then they can plant it near their headquarters um, and then have their own little teaching garden there and, you know, teach youth about it. Cause that's, that's another big aspect of what we do is, uh, education aspects of it. Yeah, I want to follow up a little bit on um, our use of language. So we've been using the word native potentially in two senses. Native plants, meaning plants that naturally grow in a certain area, and then native people or tribal people, um, whatever. Uh, and there's a little bit potentially of confusion where we're talking about native plants. We're not saying plants that are necessarily culturally significant to native people or were food sources for native people. We're saying plants that are native to the area and they may or may not have a correlation or a relationship with uh, tribal people. Is that, is that right? 
Yeah, yeah. And so it, it kind of um, becomes a little confusing. You know, there's the term native, non-native, invasive, exotic, and it kind of gets mixed up a bit. But I would say the, the, the strict botanical terms of it would be um, things are either invasive or non-invasive slash native. Um, invasive would include your Japanese honeysuckle, um, things that are from Eurasia, Europe and Asia, you know, South, uh, South America, Africa. Uh, Molen would be a good example of something that's uh, <clears throat> invasive. Uh, it's from Africa originally, but it's spread over here, you know, throughout, you know, people traveling back and forth between continents. And it sort of pops up all throughout Oklahoma. I'm sure everybody knows Molen. And it's kind of a interesting because mullein was also a heavily medicinal plant as well. And so even though it's not native to the U.S., it still is has been heavily documented as being a medicinal plant throughout the tribes, not only the Cherokee Nation, but sort of every nation throughout Oklahoma really has used mullein as sort of a, a, a cough medicine, essentially. Huh. And so there is a difference between, you know, the, the way you can kind of view the stuff. People ask us for mullein and they're like, oh, it's we don't go to that because it's non-native, but, you know, it, it's sort of everywhere around here in Oklahoma now. It's, it, you know, being naturalized almost, which is a right. different term, that term of uh, sort of the in-between of invasive and native would be like naturalized. You know, yarrow falls in that sort of gray area as well. Yeah. Now, Colin, tell me a little bit about the butterfly farm and the relationship between the butterfly farm and the Tribal Alliance for Pollinators. The two are kind of like sister organizations. We help each other out in every respect. Um, if we need help for a tap event or something, the butterfly farm will help us. If they need help, we help them. The butterfly farm is, there's a couple different programs. You know, Jane uh, has lots of different programs going on all at the same time. I don't know how she keeps track of it all because I certainly can't. Um, so you're talking about Jane Breckenridge, who yes, Jane Breckenridge, is a board member at NatureServe. Yep, yep. And she is the director of the UG Butterfly Farm, Tribal Alliance for Pollinators, all the programs here at the Butterfly Farm. Yes, I would say that the, the, one of the big benefits of you know not not only having Tribal Alliance for Pollinators and the UG Butterfly Farm in the same location is let's be honest. You know, some people think plants are boring. I love grasses. I love looking at grass. <laughs> I understand that people don't get jazzed up as bad as I do, but everybody loves butterflies. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody loves butterflies from kids to adults. Um, you throw someone in a room with a thousand butterflies in there, um, they're, they're going to be amazed. And that's going to be something that they remember. And that's re really what's important about you know the, the Yuchi Butterfly Farm to me is getting people interested and realizing that, you know, this, you know, a thousand monarchs in this one room used to be a common thing throughout Oklahoma back 50 years ago, even, um, even that close. And so um, you never know what's going to hook people in. Um, I remember growing up looking at birds and stuff like that. I didn't think it was anything significant, but eventually that grew as I grew up that interest. And so um, getting kids in that butterfly room, getting to catch butterflies around the farm, maybe I can sneak in some botany knowledge around <laughs> the butterflies, um, but whatever gets people interested and, uh, just the the idea of conserving this habitat. And so I can show them grasses, but it's really helpful to be able to show them the butterflies themselves and what they are going to attract um, outside of just growing this nice uh, lush green, you know, prairie system, essentially. So I do think that you're you're exactly right, that motivating people through whatever means we can to care and to get interested. And if butterflies 
are your gateway into caring about plants of all different kinds, not just milkweeds for uh, monarchs, but all different things that uh, butterflies depend on for our habitat and for food. I think that's really important and it's great, like you said, to have those two things together, which makes me want to ask what inspired the two of you to be interested in this? I mean, generally, you know, seventh graders, don't get on the bus together and look at each other and say, you know what I'm really into? I'm really into grasses. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a surprise for sure. That would be a surprise. You know, funny story is that's actually how it started. <laughs> uh, we kind of, uh, you know, we went to college together. Our freshman year of college, we roomed together. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, I went to college because my dad said I, I should go to college. Um, and outside of that, I had no plan. And then I kind of started taking science classes. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I took my first uh, ornithology course. And I was like, oh, people will pay me to look at birds and walk around the woods. That, that's awesome. And so that's sort of where I leaned into. Um, and then I did wildlife technician work. And, you know, we kind of separated for a couple of years. Um, while I was doing Nebraska and Minnesota stuff. And meanwhile, I was doing that. Colin was at Oklahoma University. Um, you know, do you want to? Oh, sure. You um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, my interest in plants has always been there and interest in biology has always been there. Um, I initially thought it was going to be like a pre-med route just because that's what you do. My mom also worked for a hospital as the president of HR for many, many years. So I was around that sort of scene a lot. So I thought that's what I wanted to do in biology. I knew I wanted to help people or plants or something. And then eventually I came to the realization that it was, I needed to do biology work. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought at first, I thought that was going to be um, law focused, like environmental law. I took my first governmental class and I was like, nope, definitely not. It's definitely not that. That's not, that's not it. Um, but then I figured out I wanted to do true boots on the ground I wanted to get firsthand uh, restoration work and preservation work. That's what I figured out that I wanted to do. It just took me a little while to get there. And it was kind of funny. And, you know, after the, the Nebraska prairie chicken job ended, um, I was looking for a position here and I was like, I don't really want to travel too much. Cause at that point I was like, I would have to go to like the Northwest or something or, you know, a different state. And I was like, I kind of want to stay in Oklahoma. Uh, and then right when I came back, Colin, I, I met up with Colin just, you know, hanging out. And he mentions that, like, oh, we're we actually are looking for somebody um, just now. Jane Breckenridge, like you mentioned, uh, is just put out like a, a you know looking for looking for someone to hire essentially. Um, and so Colin went back to Jane and uh, said, I think I might just have the right person <laughs> to, to <laughs> fill this position. And so that's where I came in. That's awesome. I was actually going to ask who was there first and how did it all come to pass? So you've covered that for me, which is great. Um, I'm wondering if you all now in your role um, think about like the next generation behind you and if you're going into schools at all or what kind of programs you run for school children or anything to help educate them. Yeah, um, I sort of briefly touched on it, but education is uh, a big part of the farm. Um, it's not, it's really sort of focused through the UG butterfly farm side because tribal mm -hmm. mines pollinators, you know, everything's laid out very specifically with grants, but we still do a lot of education as well in terms of workshops, um, seed stratification, seed collection, seed, uh, plant identification. Um, and it's great to get a lot of the youth out here. And so we do 
uh, groups of you know schools that will come by um, quite often. And so it's sort of just a, um, you know, pe people are starting to hear about us now. And so we're getting a lot of emails from a lot of the local schools um, trying to plan field trips, which we like a lot um, because uh, like you sort of mentioned, you know, we, we need to be training the next generation essentially. And thankfully it's a lot more accessible um, than, you know, say a decade ago in terms of, you know, native habitat restoration. There's all these, you know, smartphone apps that can identify a lot of these plants to you for pretty generally, not always down to the species level, but it, it at least gives you a good start. Um, and so teaching the kids how to use that, teaching the kids, you know, just, just to walk around a true prairie um, is one of the biggest aspects of why our location is so important because, you know, we're in South Bixby, Oklahoma, which is sort of Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, one of the larger cities in Oklahoma. From our location, um, you can be downtown Tulsa where, you know, all the bars are and everything's happening in 30, 35 minutes. Um, that's really important because a lot of these kids that grow up in rural uh, Tulsa, they might see a monarch every now and then throughout the summer, uh, every couple of weeks or something like that. But they can drive 30 minutes to our location and see, you know, hundreds of monarchs, as well as different species of butterflies and bees um, as well. And then sort of, uh, it's always funny because we always have, when we have kids come here, uh, there's always those kids that are scared of bees and butterflies mm, yeah. because they're not used to them. Um, but we, what, what's always interesting um, is that we always sort of make it a point to get those kids over the fear of that while they're here. Yeah. And so they might be crying uh, when bees are flying around and whenever they get here. And then, you know, we can get them to be, at the point where they're looking at the bees underneath a magnifying glass, underneath a, like a Penstemon digitalis plant or something like that, because the, you know, bees aren't ever going to sting you. I, I've been here for four years. A bee's never stunned me. A wasp hasn't stunned me. Nope. Um, yeah, as long as the food is there, um, mm -hmm. they're not going to bother you at all. So uh, I think that's a really crucial point of what we do here at our location. It's just providing these kids uh, opportunities to see sort of what the land you know, should look like, or it did look like 50 to 100 years ago, essentially. Yeah. So you, uh, well, my main fear of butterflies is that I'm going to hurt them because they seem so fragile. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not, <laughs> I love having them fly around me. And I went into the butterfly room at the uh, Wichi Butterfly Farm, and it was really exciting to have them all swirling around. It's very cool. Um, but you used, uh, you mentioned, you talked about species uh, a minute ago, and you used some scientific names of the penstemon. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of uh, formal Western scientific information and traditional knowledge and the intersection of how we bring together the traditional knowledge with scientific knowledge to, to make a difference in the world. I, I, I think it's really important. Uh... You know, the tribes around here in Oklahoma, they have their seed banks and such like that. Um, you know, we've worked in Minnesota with tribal launcher pollinators as of the past year and year and a half. And what was really nice about the tribes up in Minnesota is that they would have a tribal wildlife biologist, which I think is a fantastic thing. I, every tribe should have a wildlife biologist. I understand these tribes are smaller and such in Oklahoma. That, that's the, the dream, essentially. The dream is to have every tribe has a wildlife biologist to relay this information because it is important because the, 
the cultural knowledge obviously is very, very, very important. But if you don't have sort of the ecological background um, to preserve these plant species, these culturally significant species, they're just going to diminish away further and further and further. And every single aspect of Oklahoma, if you go an hour east of us right now, it's going to look entirely different than where we're at right now. You go an hour west, it's going to look entirely different than where we're at now and vice versa. And so all these tribes, in my opinion, have sort of a responsibility to not only, you know, preserve that cultural knowledge, but as well as maintain the, the land that's providing, you know, where all that knowledge is coming from. And so that's what I really like about this position um, is that I get to work with the tribes all throughout Oklahoma and they might provide me um, some, you know, culturally significant names of the plant species. Um, and then some photos as well, but they don't necessarily know, you know, the scientific name of it. And so that's where we sort of come in. If they can send us photos, they can take us to the actual plant itself in person. You know, we can identify it down to a species level. Uh, we record all the ecological information uh, in terms of where it's at. You know, we take GPS points, what's around it, what other native plants are growing around it. We look at the geology. We look at uh, online at what pollinators might be using it as a host plant as well, which, you know, all of this information just sort of gets thrown into, you know, sort of a document, and then we can provide that to the tribe. Um, and then so they can have not only the cultural understanding of it, but as well as the ecological significance of it. And so it ties in really, really well um, with terms of education as well, going back to the youth, because a lot of the tribes um, have stories among, you know, different species of plants of, you know, why it's here. And so if we can tie in more ecological information and, you know, tie a monarch to that story as well, um, it, it really sticks pretty, pretty well, in my opinion. Yeah. The only thing I would add um, to that is, unfortunately, through so many different facets, um, a lot of these plants are more difficult to find or completely gone from the areas that they were at. So us being able to find these plants for those people who are having trouble finding them and then we can grow them out and then give them those plants so they can plant locally so they don't have to like collect from wild populations and further diminish that um, those population numbers is like a really big deal to me. Yeah, that's so interesting. So it's possible for people to essentially over collect something that's over rare sure. and then it's no longer in the wild. It may be growing on some controlled setting, but that's not the same as it being available in the wild. So when you collect seeds, you're not harvesting the plant necessarily. You're collecting some portion of the seeds to um, germinate and give people plugs or to give people seeds. How does, how does, tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we only collect seeds um, when we go to properties and stuff like that. I never dig anything up. Um, digging up stuff, is uh, you have to know what you're doing essentially. And I generally, I, I have the knowledge of, you know, what you could dig up and what does and doesn't work. Um, you have to learn about the taproot systems and, and understand what's going on and do it at the right time of the year. I generally don't touch on it um, whenever yeah. I do my presentations, just because the seeds is always going to be, you know, collecting seeds is always going to be a lot better for not only the host population of where you're collecting from, but in terms of your output as well, you know, you can dig up one plant. Okay. You, great. And you get it to, you get it to move one spot, but then you take away that plant from its original location. 
Um, whereas you could have just waited, you know, four months and then collected the seeds and then had, you know, 50, you know, plant seedlings and then grow all those out pretty easily. Um, and then, you know, have a, a much greater number of them. Um, but that's, yeah, that's generally what we do. Um, is we, people ask us to come out to their properties um, to do a survey. And so we'll write down everything for them, what's out there, um, what is non-native as well is, is another thing that we do. So we kind of advise on land management as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, always seeds are always going to be the way to go. Yep. Yeah. And I think I recall from when I was out there that you've um, found some species that maybe weren't known in Oklahoma before or... Um, there's just a particular rare species here in Oklahoma, um, here at the farm, actually. Um, it's quite rare. I don't remember. Is it a county record, Brandon? I don't remember. It's yes. Yes, it is a county record. Yeah. Um, we have a Nabilis asper or Pernanthes asper. kind of depends on uh, what kind of how old your key is you're looking at. And that's been here on the farm. Um and it's the only record of it. We have the only records of it. Oklahoma University doesn't even have herbarium records of it. Um, and it used to be a pretty heavily, it used to be a pretty dense species back in, you know, the 17, 1800s. Um, there's historical documents that I've read where they talk about it as like a roadside weed. And nowadays we can't find it. Um, the only other population I know of it is out in Osage County, which is like a hour and a half west of us and i imagine that's on uh the nature conservancy land but we've actually seen it spreading colin just uh noted to me that it's actually spreading on our property now which is really great um because we we can collect seeds of it we can grow it out um it's a really unique species um i i didn't mention the common name the common name is rough rattlesnake root um so collecting these rare species is really important to us because you know, we have on the farm a true prey remnant. And so what a true prey remnant is, is uh, essentially land that hasn't been disturbed for a hundred plus years. And so thankfully, Jane Breckenridge, this land has been in her family for a couple, you know, centuries now. And so our prey remnant where this rough rattlesnake is growing has never been used for grazing. It's never been plowed. Um, we just burned it um, in December, and so I'm really excited to see what new species are going to come up since I've even been here. Because I, I think I, I got a pretty good idea of what's out there currently, but with this new burn coming through, I guarantee I'm going to see some new species this spring and summer. Definitely. It's going to be exciting. Mm -hmm. That is cool. So um, <clears throat> just quickly talk about the importance of uh, fire, because that comes up a lot, especially in prairies and fire suppression and like what happens when you burn yeah, so what the big important part of burning is that, um, you know, you, you have to sort of think about it, you know, outside of just humans. Back in, you know, a thousand years ago, fire was prevalent throughout all of Oklahoma. Um, you know, people talk about trees all the time. You know, we need to plant a tree and, you know, we're, we're conserving habitat. Most of Oklahoma, especially the western side, there wasn't a lot of trees because fire would come through historically and wipe those eastern red cedars out, even though they are a native tree. Um, and so the prairie the fires essentially are sort of the, the, the cleaning crew of the prairie. And so it burns up a lot of that understory. And what's really good for that is that it allows birds to uh, make nesting habitat because, you know, after about four seasons, 
a lot of birds aren't going to nest in a prairie system because there's too much woody understory. Mm. Um, four seasons is sort of that tipping point. And so fire comes through and clears that out. Um, birds have grown up with that. The turtles that are, have grown up with that evolutionarily. And so it's they have an intricate relationship between each other. We also now know that native prairies are amazing uh, carbon sinks. And because of their deep root systems and the way the soil is, um, and that by burning them, you're not necessarily, you're actually net adding carbon to the ground because you get so much productivity the following season that you're actually sucking more carbon out than you're putting in through the fire. So it's a absolutely important component in so many different ways to the ecology of the local area, as well as to, uh, I think, our overall planetary health. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Another thing about fire um, is some plants need them to even break their dormancy. Um, some plants need exposure to those heat levels. Sometimes it's smoke. And then some species need access to light. So in some of these fields, the understory is too thick, like Brandon was saying, and they the seeds don't get exposed to light and therefore they don't germinate, come through with a fire. And then you're going to have some species that you didn't have before that needed the light that have just been waiting for a long time to germinate. There was um, one of our colleagues um, down in Atoka in the Choctaw Nation um, is remediating some of his land. Some of that is um, knocking down eastern red cedars. And he said he knocked it down. And then the next year, a lot of different species of bee balm just popped up. He didn't plant them. He didn't seed or anything. They were just laying in the seed bank waiting. Right, right. That's really cool. Um, so I want to give you guys each chance to just from your perspectives of growing up in Oklahoma and being involved in this field and thinking about the future, you know, what, what, what else should I have asked you about, or what do you want to uh, communicate to the listeners? A lot of people think of Oklahoma as a flyover state and in some ways it is. Um, but if you're interested in biology, it is certainly not a place that you want to miss. We are a very diverse state biologically. Um, so it's, everything is really interesting that Southeast, you've got like swamps and alligators and Northwest, you've got the panhandle, which is very arid. It's like a desert. It's, it's really amazing. And the elevation change is like a, I think it's 1500 feet from the panhandle to the Southeast. Um, it's just a very diverse state. So if you're interested in biology, Oklahoma is a very cool place to be. Let me just say, I completely agree. I went to Oklahoma for the first time last year and had the chance to go out in the field with uh, some of the members of the uh, Oklahoma Natural Heritage Program and spent some time on the butterfly farm. And uh, it was spectacular and awesome. And uh, I'm looking forward to coming back. So, and Brandon? Yeah. yeah. If, you know, two goobers like Colin and I uh, can manage to, you know, create a large seed bank like this, you know, anybody can really do it. Um, and so that's what I really want to do with the tribes around here in Oklahoma, uh, because we're not, I, I don't think we're, we're anything special in terms of uh, the, the botanical knowledge that no, we certainly. had. It, it can all be readily learned for sure. Right. And so it's very accessible. Um, and no matter what you're trying to do for conservation, you want more quail, you want more prey chickens, you want more deer. It's all going to be coming back to plants. You know, plants are sort of the core building block of conservation, in my opinion. So it's uh, it's important to understand. And so that's what I'm trying to do with the tribes here in Oklahoma is just get everybody on board, get everybody to, you know, understand uh, 
how to identify this stuff and how to collect seeds and how to grow it because you know we can grow this stuff all day but what's really going to make a difference is if we have you know a couple pairs of you know a colin and brandon you know in every tribe in oklahoma that's where we're going to make a big difference yeah, that's super exciting. I love the uh, comment about sort of you basically you didn't say it this way, but diversity begets diversity. You know, you're yeah. not going to have 10 species of birds in a monoculture. If you have diverse number of birds, diverse plants, that absolutely positive yeah. feedback cycle. Um, well, Colin, Brandon, um, a couple of goobers that I really like. Um, I haven't heard anybody say that word in a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. It's pretty, it's pretty apt, I think. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, your time today. And I also really appreciate what you're doing for the future and for native plants, because I think this is a really important feature, not just in Oklahoma. We need to be thinking about native plants and native species all across, uh, all across the world, really. Um, so thank you for doing that. And I also want to thank uh, Jane Breckenridge for creating the, the Butterfly Farm and the Tribal Alliance for Pollinators and for uh, giving you the time to uh, engage in this conversation today. Yeah, I literally would not be here without her. No, it's all thanks to Jane. That's all thanks to Jane. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, we're really appreciative of her too as one of our board members. Yeah. Um, so thank you for being on the show and thanks to our listeners for listening to Conservation Conversations this month with Collins Briggs and Brandon Gibson from the Tribal Alliance for Pollinators. And uh, thank you gentlemen for the work that you're doing. Thanks, Sean. Thanks yeah, for having thanks us. for having us. Yeah, that was awesome. All right. And as everyone knows who's listening, NatureServe is a nonprofit organization and we appreciate your support. You can donate to NatureServe through our website at natureserve.org. You can also, uh, of course, as everybody always says on podcasts, uh, like us on your favorite podcast platform and give us a good review because that really helps. And uh, the more exposure that NatureServe gets, the more our message about conservation and uh, biodiversity and native species uh, gets out there for the world to, to learn and understand. So thank you for joining us and we'll look forward to uh, talking to you next month. <laughs>